Winging it with Painter and Rico, we've given up on episodes. Today we've got a good friend of mine, Mark Hammond. Um, good friend, legend in terms of fitness and everything else. And it's great to have you on board. Lovely to be here. Yeah, nice to meet you, Mark. Thank you, mate. Lovely to, lovely I to can't believe you met. No. No. We know of each other, but yeah. it's actually first time we've met. Yeah. Yeah. So, go back to your start, Mark. Where did mm-hmm. you start? Well, I'll just say a date, really. I think, for me, I was one of these kids at school who loved all sport, really. Um, I wasn't particularly academic. Um, um, and I wasn't particularly good in the, in the classroom. I think I was a bright kid, but I, I was in probably the wrong crowd. And all I was interested in, really, was sport. And um, played a good level of both football and rugby, you know, um, sort of captain both the, the school football team and the rugby team. But I was, I, I came to sort of my mid-teens, late-teens and realised that I would not be the level I wanted to be. Like a lot of my mates ended up having trials for both City and Rovers and I was never good enough to quite do that. Um, and back in the day you had Parkway where Gary Mappert was, was playing against me and um, then you had Stockwood, which was the City lot. And I was... United at the time so we were that it was us and Bromley Heath we were always vying for third spots we were never good enough so I think the realisation came to me that much as I wanted to be I was never going to be a professional footballer or elite rugby player so I, I suppose I turned my attention really to um, all things fitness yeah and that was my ambition to, to be a, a fitness coach and how old were you then? Well, after you finished school, yeah, did, I did. Did you go straight into the fitness industry? No, or? I didn't, mate. No, that's a, that's a good question actually because um, it was all a, it's all been quite accidental, to me because I I went to university and I was gonna believe it or not, I'm saying I'm an academic, but I was gonna, I was gonna the only thing I was good at, I don't know why, was was English. <laughs> We didn't go to university, did we? Well, <laughs> we did to clean it. Well, mate, I, honestly, I was the first one. I remember, you know, my grand was like, whatever was, was the first one in the family ever to do it. I did. I didn't really want to go. If I'm honest with you, I didn't want Where to do these things. I went to Cardiff, right. and I had a great six months, but I didn't do any studying, and and the story didn't go particularly great. But um, no, the fact is that I I was always thinking about my my goal was to be an English and PE teacher. Um, that was that was from a very age. You know, everyone said, oh, you'd be a good English and PE teacher. That's what you ought to do. And I got on very well with the PE staff and they encouraged me to get an academic sub- subject. Well, then, um, you know, this is crikey, what we're talking about. So, yeah, early 80s when their unemployment was four and a million million than what it was right at the time of the minor strike. Having applied for 80 jobs, I realised that that probably wasn't the way to go. Um, so, by accident, I went to the Empire Sports Club and um, I took... Uh, uh, a weightlift, believe it or not, more so weightlifting than weight training, but it was a, a regi- it was the qualification back in the day. So it was the British Amateur Weightlifting Association Baller uh, Leadership uh, Instruction Certificate. And this is before there was PTs or anything like that. And it opened my eyes, guys. And, uh, and I thought, well, you know, I'm, I've, you know I, can, I can do this. This is great. And um, got the qualification. It was a written exam and a practical exam. And then I went on and did, went back and carried on and did the instructor's course and realised that this is pretty much what I wanted to do. Um, and I had this very vague notion, <laughs> so I didn't have any money uh, and didn't have any sort of financial backing from anybody. And my parents didn't have very much money either. So it was a bit of a dream, but I, I was on a day, I always wanted to have a gym. Oh, my dream was to have my own gym in a community um, environment. And um, so I started with a routine, yeah, that was okay. it. So you mentioned the empire, you know, that is 
a legend in fitness. Oh, and, and people involved with Empire back in back in that day. Were you a member of Empire? No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't too. Because I, I, I lived in Corbett Heath and, and I didn't drive. And, and I think that although I was aware of, as you say, the kudos and the most nationally recognised, you had some believable people. Um, the likes of Glenn Douglas, um, Lloyd, Lloyd Russell, uh, Newton Burroughs, um, to name a few. You know, yeah. there were some great names that came from that. I mean, the boxing and the weightlifting was was incredible. Um, so there was an, an, a fantastic respect for that environment. But I was looking at areas at the time. You, you did have the Empire, which was the club. And then we had a few other gyms, um, the Dan's gym and uh, the Brian Dan's and his brother Mike had in in, um, in, in Black Boy Hill and Clifton, and there was Bob's gym over in Avonmouth. But there weren't there weren't many and the Universal uh, and there in, um, in the centre of town. So there weren't many gyms, and so we looked at trying to find a location, which frankly was a little bit offbeat, but somewhere different. Yeah, and and start you know start from scratch. But the Empire, yeah, was very influential in answer to question. Yeah. Yeah. So where where did you? Well, again, it's by accident because, um, again, like I said a day earlier on that my um, my mum's family um, were from, from Benister, so I knew the south of the city sort of quite well. Uh, I used to see my grandparents a lot, and um, that's why, um, apart from the fact that my dad did his national service with Gordon Parr, an ex-city player. So as a kid, um, even though all my mates were Rovers fans and I came from Rovers area. I remember his testimony of Gordon Parr. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah, back in the day. Fleming out, there you go. Yeah, my, 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 my dad apparently got on well, and they were the last, it's a couple of the last national servicemen that, that did their, their, their time. So yeah, that was the rationale. So yeah, sorry, I digress. Um, there's, there's so much to say. So, uh, but no, I, I, we went over to that side of town and we found a premises in, in really what was a bit offbeat track. It was the bottom of Ashton Drive uh, behind the back of Robin's Pub just before the South Liberty Lane training estate. And it was, it was the old Park Furnishes building which had been empty for two years. So what we did is me, my business partner, um, who were both out of work at the time, we did what's called the Enterprise Allowance Scheme. And we did yeah. what Norman Tebbit told us to do. We got on our bikes and we had these fantastic courses. We used to sit in a room about how to be a businessman, which is absolutely hilarious to be fair, looking back on it. But miraculously, yeah, we it, it took us a long time to get plan permission, change of use. Um, I was doing dealing with politicians, things like that, as a kid in his early twenties. Because I was good at English. Well, <laughs> but, no, you, but mate, it was it was one of those things you probably tell. I don't mind having a chat, so I can talk to people. But it was no to ask you, David. It's quite. A, it, I grew up very quickly because we were desperate to make it happen, and it was an ideal premises because in South Bristol there was nothing at the time. And the irony of it all is, as you were saying earlier on yourself, I mean, known the area well, I go to South Bristol now and go back to see my friends, and there's probably about 12 gyms in South Bristol. Yeah. When we opened our gym in 1988, there was probably about five in the whole of Bristol. So it was, it was, it was a great location for us because, you know, we got people from all over uh, Bristol, obviously mainly the local people um, in South Bristol. Uh, Ashton, Benister, a lot from Withy, Wood, Hartcliffe, Knoll, uh, Bishopsworth, Stockwood, you know, all over. But then we had people from the Shortly North. people, mm. Mate, honestly, it was Shortly a community people. thing, Tony. Um, so sort of jumping ahead a little bit, it, it was a dream. And when, when I say, again, I said this to David, if my kids now said to me, Dad, um, right, you know, we're in our early 20s, we're thinking about opening, a, you know, a refurbishing a derelict building and opening up a gym. Uh, but you've got no money beyond you, but you, you know, you've got a business plan to that. Our parents were very trusting and really very, probably they were bright to the heavens, but it came off, but believe it or not, it, it was, we could have lost everything, we say we remortgaged the house we had in the eight at the time, um, and we had to have, to have the Antoine's allowance scheme, you had to have a thousand pounds in the bank, and that's all we had between the two of us. 
we could have lost everything. But luckily, just through sheer hard work and passion, really, it, I'd love to say it was fancy apparatus or gimmicks, or it wasn't. It was just... Well, it's obviously the passion that's got you through it, hasn't it? You can see that. Without a doubt, mate. It, it, it's always what I wanted to do, Dave. And, and to be honest with you, I, don't, I always felt... I knew my skill set was limited, you know, in the sense that I, 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 I said sport, you know, back in the day before you even had GCSE and PE, that was always my thing. And um, I, I, I consider myself to be very, I'm very humble about it. I'm very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time because the people of Ashton and South Bristol were lovely, mate. They were lovely. So is that what you followed, that you're fitness all the way through your working career that's been your sort of well, to this very day yeah. that's all I've ever done that's nice isn't it yeah. to have something yeah. you love doing to very lucky full time. you know we've said this before haven't we saying about having a career like you know no one chooses to do what I do do you know what I mean like roofing but to do a job that you love doing and do all your work in life must be Dave, nice to wake up in the morning and see doing something you love I, I do and even now you know at my ripe old age of 60 I've got the same passion the same love for it I'm teaching a class tonight there'll be 30 yeah, people mixed of, you know from 63 to 17 year olds in the class as many men as there's women and I get the same passion and buzz out of it that I did when I was working for City and Rovers or when I had my own gym it, it, I feel the same way about it. it it's just I think Tony hit the nail on the head when he said earlier on him about you know down to us real people and the lovely thing is we used to do charity fashion shows my missus did <laughs> I didn't uh, we had a gym rugby team would you believe we always had a Christmas aerobics you know we had Christmas parties and the lovely thing about it we were the only gym in the country at the time that had um the Foundation of Sport and the Arts, um, this is before lottery funding came in, I applied because we, we ran out of money basically, we need to refurbish the changing rooms and, and get better apparatus six years down the line in designing bodies. And uh, the Foundation of Sport and the Arts, they, I wrote an application, I had to get support from Tory councillors, uh, I had to go and see Dawn Promo's local MP at the time. And we were lucky enough to get a, an interim grant, which meant we could refurbish the facilities. Uh, improve the change rooms, get more apparatus in, and it was, it was wonderful. And they recognised it because we'd got data that showed that at that time the South Bristol ward actually had the highest unemployment, the highest level of, of poverty, and this is like early nineties. Anywhere else in that side of town? Yeah, and so they, and so really the foundation for sport and the arts, to be fair to them, were amazing because they recognised because we were the first gym I think at our time who were welcome with wheelchair users um we had people coming in with various sort of different um disabilities that we welcomed and none of the posh private gyms would cater for that and mm -hmm. i think that because and we did have a rate for unemployed and students and we never made any money boys we we, we were just interested in helping people i know and we, we made a living um but the fact was you know we'd be very often there until 10 o'clock at night waiting for people to go and the gym would have been full of people that had, were on free memberships because they plastered a wall or they painted the, <laughs> oh, right. do you know what i mean yeah. so that, yeah the guy that amended the roof yeah. and we'd be there sometimes <laughs> we, 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 we were totally we could work some weeks and hardly make anything yeah but we had such a great friendship group yeah we we, we had we made i mean all my friends really sounds quite sad but I'm not a pub goer I'm not teetotal but I've never gone to pubs regularly because my lifestyle I've always worked in the evenings but my life has always been the team I'm working with or the gym I'm working in and then that's my extended family you know yeah. has been you do yourself a disservice as well I mean, I'm a, I want to play this, place this on record you know you say about your skill set is fantastic and you've got skills you know you're talking about talking to politicians you're talking about writing bids you, so you know you do yourself a disservice in just fitness is, is you know your, your be all and end all it is but you're a wonderful person as well and I know oh, that you know, placing that on record. Yeah, thank you, mate. So, 
You mentioned Deb. Yeah. She's been a big part of your life. Huge. She was involved with the gym. Yeah, Deb, Deb and I have known each other since school. That's <laughs> his wife for De- his wife. Wife. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> Deb and I went to Rivens together. And um, we sort of, after the university, we got back together. So she was, uh, yeah, in her early 20s. And so basically, Debbie had never been, I think she'd be the first to admit, she was never particularly sporty at school. Um, she was quite self-conscious, never into a gym in life. And I remember when we worked in our first gym when I lived in Bournemouth before I set my gym up, we were running a gym down there. And Debbie would only train the gym, this is quite an interesting anecdote, when the gym was quiet and nobody else was around. She was so self-conscious. Fast track four years on, and she got onto the thing of aerobics, and she got herself as a qualified aerobics teacher, very Jane Fonda-esque. But it was great in all fairness because for her on a personal level, she gained a really good following. She was a natural um, teacher. She had a way with her that was inspirational. I'm, I'm not being biased, she was, she was absolutely fantastic. And her personality shone through. She also became very accomplished and was offered a role with a company at the time to teach other people to teach aerobics. So the transformation was, was incredible. <clears throat> it wasn't one of these overnight um, gym qualifications. It took her six months to get her qualification. Uh, both theory and practical and as I say she took it very well and had her own very strong following mm. and that brought that female element to the gym because boys I will say that the gym we had was nothing like the current day David Lloyd's I mean we're talking about we didn't even have a treadmill we had one exercise exercise bike <laughs> and a punch bag I swear to you that's all we had and we had free weights but we had this room we cordoned off where Debbie did aerobics and the following she had and it was mainly local girls who would walk in from the Ashton Drive or across the road in in um Benminster or North Street or whatever so it was mainly local people but we were she was cramming them in and and, and to be fair that was it was, a, it was a very big part of the gym. Yeah, it's not all about me at all. It was very, you know, her contribution was huge. So, yeah. you know, and I think the fact that we were a man and wife um, sort of couple and we had that family thing, I think that people related to us and quite liked that because we were one of them. We were the local community. I lived in the Chessels in, in a terrace house up there. So it was like, um, I was calling it South Bristol's answer to Coronation Street up there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but again, the people there were just unbelievable. And you'd open your door and it'd be like, like the Rocky film, you say hello to everybody as you walk it down North Street, the bloke and the fruit. So, and I, I, and I, I can't speak highly enough. I mean, you know, I, I love where I live now, um, and it's quiet and it's different, but I, I don't think you can beat the community back in the day that, that we had in South Bristol. As I say, getting to this right, salt the earth, down to with people, lovely people. So, you know. Dave, Dave and I have mentioned this many, many times. You know, social and community values are different now to yes. what they were back in, in the day you were talking about. Without without a shadow of a doubt. And we do need to look out for each other because um, I worry for my kids' kids growing up. I really do. Well, honestly, Tony, I, I, when I said we were lucky, I think we were because um, if I tried to do 30-odd <laughs> years on what I did all those years ago, it wouldn't work because your right community has changed. And I think that, you know, the glitzy, glamour gyms that are out there, I'm not knocking they're fantastic. And I was lucky enough to you know work for the our two um football teams and you know we had corporate deals with um david lloyd's and um if i'm honest with you yeah the best facilities in the world but to me it's different it's like you know i knew everybody in that gym and people come and say you know they come in off the building site and they change but they would have come straight off the building site they would have come straight from the warehouse and they'd say mark I haven't got the money, can I pay? And we had tabs for people. <laughs> I swear, we did. I, on my life. And there would be times where, and very rarely the people take the mickey out of us. No. I, 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 we were never had over. And, you know, the lovely thing is, I think people recognised it. And we had, I'll tell you the interesting thing is, we had a, 
I think how people understood what we were trying to achieve, because I remember walking around to the local residences, going back a bit to go forward, if you know what I mean. So I was going around the local residences, actually driving, saying what we were going to do to try and get support, because if people went against us, we usually didn't get pandemonium. We were desperate to make this work. So um, I remember knocking on the door on the ladies, and I said, uh, who lived there, and I sort of said, yeah, it's going to be a very up, we saw, you'd be very lucky if there's going to be an upmarket gym around here, my love, like this. But it was, when I say upmarket, we put down a carpet. That sounds weird, guys, but we were the first people outside, so the empire was what it was. Yeah, not, yeah. There's no way that I could compete the empire because of its fantastic values and, as you say, legendary uh, establishment. I wasn't trying to do that. So what we did is, we, having worked in the gyms down in Bournemouth, where the gym culture was a little bit more ahead of us, I thought, well, what they did there, they put pictures on the wall, might so stupid, they had a, a basic cord carpet down, and they put a few plants, <laughs> basic green plants. And we added that into this old park furniture warehouse, which was the old um, designer bodies then, Trojan Gym, and it worked, because it looked really nice. And my dad was a graphic designer, he did these wonderful, um, <coughs> excuse me, computer graphic pictures of bodybuilders and fitness models and stuff. That it wasn't. It wasn't a hardcore bodybuilding gym. You know, we didn't know about steroids. You know, we were we were interested in that. You know, there were other gyms where people went who wanted to be into the bodybuilding thing. We had bodybuilders that went there, but it was very much Tony, as you said, to use your word community, and that is that's the nail on the head for me. Community yeah. gym. Was it? Was it a? a it wasn't a posers gym. Bit no. Like higher, a bit like. No chance. No, no, no. I, I think people came there. I mean, the, the wonderful thing is, I mean, we had a, a, a very large um, contingent that came in from um, the St Paul's and Eastern area. So we had a lot of yeah. people come across town yeah. because they felt that we were playing music in the gym um, and that we were offering to. And people from Yate came and people from this area came because they were prepared to travel and go to a gym. That although regionally in South Bristol it wasn't a cliquey South Bristol gym, although the, the predominantly it was South Bristol people, you had a really big mix culturally. Um, you know, although basically working class, it was a fantastic atmosphere where people in the end all over Bristol came, and, and because of the step that grew and grew. And then I moved on to to answer your question. Well, it was very much a functional working gym. Yeah. So we had associations with obviously being near to city. There was always bits and pieces where we were working alongside Buster, was sending players down to us unofficially, you know, when Joe Jordan was there. As Buster Footman, the old fitness coach, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Joe came down for a couple of chats, Joe Jordan. And also, we had links with Bristol Rugby Club simply because some of the players came and did my boxer size class, and I got in, me and my business partner, we got into. Who? Are we talking Pete Faulkner? No, this no. is no, this is another guy, Martin Flexman, oh, who, okay. who's a fantastic, uh, fantastic friend of mine, friend for life. Um, you know, you know, it, it, the, the closest thing you could have to, to, to being a brother was not a brother. I mean, an amazing yeah. guy. Um, and both he and I had, luckily, such similar views. We got, we never had a fallout. We just, we just gelled. And <clears throat> he'd been a very talented uh, amateur boxer. I'd done a bit. So we, another good move we did, Tony and Dave, was we, we took on boxer size very early because we were inspired by how Debbie was teaching all his classes. At the time, we had three kids and the age of ten, so she was doing all of that and the classes. And so I thought, well, I best step up to the plate here because I don't want to be the, uh, you know, the, the the landlord at the front of the counter and not contribute. Um, and so I, I got my hands involved with that, and and that that was a good thing to do. That was very very good. So answer to the question about Posey, no, it was very much. A case where local sports people um, would come and see us. Um, I mean, Darren Dorrington, bless him, you know, fantastic amateur boxer, would come from Southmead and do his conditioning with me. And 
as I say, we had people that were good level local footballers and rugby players that would come to us because it was a, it was an honest working gym. They were interested in results. Yeah, I, I probably didn't put that question quite right with the the posing gym, <laughs> and I apologise for that to no, no, people that listen. I knew no, but but lots of gyms back there. It was all about the, the bulkhead. Looking in the mirror. Yeah. I think that's a very good question because I think you hit the nail on the head. I, 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 you know, I, I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, we had one or two guys. I mean, believe it or not, I could take the mickey out of myself now. I mean, I actually, <laughs> I actually did do a bodybuilding show. I actually did it because I felt it was incumbent on me. See, that's a big word. I mean, I read it up last night. Thought I'd use it, but no, <laughs> no. In all fairness, you I don't know what that means anyway. No, I, yeah, I don't. I probably means completely wrong thing. No, I, I just thought it's good for me to. Um, to, to sort of show willing and, and um, people can say, oh, you know, you know, you'll go for it. And people say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was so naive. I mean, it, it was at the Victoria Rooms, this is 1989. Um, so, oh my God, you know, I look back on it, I wince with embarrassment, particular. <laughs> but but I, it, I went up and on stage against guys that. Well, were I've, I've seen of some of the I've seen some of the pictures, <laughs> and you should be proud of well, uh, what you took. <laughs> Did you have to bloody smoke? That's why I'm so embarrassed with that. Uh, we, had, we had all sorts of cries going up in the audience because um, you know we had yeah it was quite funny because I I'd never experienced I, I'm backstage and these lads are saying to me, well, all right, mate, what do you do for your for your diet in preparation I've gone well I did this I fish in the morning I I, I eliminated salt hot water and I was going through all this because very self-taught to me and Dave Rim and uh, they go no no what, what are you taking I said well desiccated liver and protein they said no what and then they said and this bloke said to me, oh, oh, oh you, you, you must be mad. He said, I'm eating cheese, two cheesecakes a day. I said, oh, you can do that. You're like, he's really lean, he's ripped. He said, I'm taking this, I'm taking that. And, and they were just like saying things which really so naive of me. I'm not, you know, I'm not puritanical at all. I'm not anti, well, I am anti-steroid actually because I, I don't believe in taking them at all. I never have them. But um, I didn't, we didn't promote that. So we, we had this tag as a natural gym. Yeah. So usually we're poser. We did have guys that represented our gym. And I'm very proud to say, Represented the gym and did something called the Association of Natural Body Rulers, and we had three second place in Britain. Graham Jones, who um, was a senior over 50s, came second uh, in the whole of the country. Um, and another couple of lads at different levels also came second on the national stage because they were all drug tested. So, look, I mean, I go around, they call me the preacher for all sorts of reasons. You probably tell me yeah. why because I, I do preach a bit, but. I was never having a go at anybody or falling out with anybody about the steroid thing, but it just wasn't for us. We do on lots of levels, not just ethical, moral. It's just it's about it just wasn't for us to promote it. There were gyms that, that you know had a, a more relaxed view. I'm not knocking them now. That was the sign of the times, and it was a route we didn't want to go. And I think we didn't. We had our big lads and bodybuilders, the doormen, the rugby players. We had some fantastic lads who who could probably look after themselves. You know, like real tough characters, yeah. all walks of life. Uh, but they were gentlemen and if I'm honest with you you know you, I, I've got a vision of a guy um, a real character who people might remember um, a guy called Butch from the West who was who looked like Pat Roach from Swedish and Bomber the great but he, he was as hard as nails as a hell of a reputation but he was a gentleman and you know when our resident um a very good friend of mine, Carl, who's a wheelchair user, he'd pick him in out of his wheelchair into the machines. And a general giant. So, I mean, those are the sort of images I have of that gym and, and that sense of community and that sense of, you know, completely not poser. So, actually, that was a very good point to, com to compare it with. Mm, yeah. yeah. So, when did the city thing kick in? What's the city? Tony gained like almost of my life, really, boys, you think about it. So, I've had, I'd love to say I've had a, a career plan, but Dave, everything's just been accidental. Mm -hmm. um, Again, Tony, 
Dave, this is unbelievable. And this is why I say I'm lucky because I was teaching a box size class and I recognised there's a, a, quite a character in our, our gym who probably a lot of people know of, absolute legend across Bristol, Jasper Thompson. Yeah. And Jasper, I've known Jasper for many, many years and, the, you know, an absolute gentleman. And he he was doing the box size, which he loved. And his training partner was, I recognise in there. And it was Terry Connor. And Terry Connor was, he was coming to the end of his career and just doing the start of a bit of coaching for Johnny Ward <coughs> at the time. And Terry came up to the end of the class and said, really love that it's helping me get my fitness because I've got to be careful because I've had a, a serious knee injury um, you know love the warm up moves and stuff you're doing you know would you mind if I use some of your moves and, or, or, or he said better still would you like to come along on Friday afternoon when I work with the injured players the sick lame and lazy and he used to call them yeah, well, you know yeah. uh, very very politically incorrect but no and, and, he, and he'd sort of say um, you know would you like to come along and motivate them he's, he said because I've got lots of ideas but I love what you're doing I love the energy da 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 I said, oh, Terry, that'd be fantastic. So for about six weeks, every Friday, I'd go up there. And this is the era, era of um, Ross Hales, who's cousin, who, oh, Matty Hill, yeah. lovely lad, Aaron Brown, Matty Hill, they all came with the academy, Tommy Docks, Lewis Carey, Colin Cram, ones who, uh, Sean Dyche did a lot of my classes. So we had characters there. And boys, it was so much fun because it was one of those things where... It was tough and it was hard, and I was obviously wanting to have oh, the chance to, to do something with City. It was unbelievable. Never dreamed of it, but long story short, short I go straight to the chase. It grew and it grew, it grew, and then they sort of I started assisting Buster and, and Jill, Jill O'Shea, or Jill, uh, yeah, Jill O'Shea, Jill Holt, and she is now. And I got to know the directors, got the coaches, got the trust of the managers, and started doing bits and pieces for them um, on a consultancy basis. So I started help, uh, helping the injured players the academy players so liaised with Dave Burnside um, and the um, the academy side of things uh, Tony Forthrop and the first team managers but that was through Terry Connor really at the end yeah. of the day it was accidental and out of that grew into a a permanent role and then a full-time role and I was there for four years as a result so full-time at Bristol City I, I, my only time I was actually full-time day was the last year with Danny Wilson believe it or not the other time I had a role where I was permanent but it was a, a part-time role and that was during the the sort of Tony Pulis, um, Lee Rosinia, um, Tony Fourth up time. You know that's all interesting. And then in the end, Danny wanted me to go full time with him. Did you go to the games? And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. So what did you do? Like, analyze what they needed, or that, that's a, that's a cracking question because it's, it changed David. It changed so much. T Terry was I very visionary. I thought Terry had a great way. I thought it was a great coach. Had a great enthusiasm of the young lads. And give him his credit, be at the front of the class under the stairs of the old gym at the Williams stand. I'd be doing all the moves and everything, and Terry would be on my right hand. He'd join in and do it all with me, so he was great. Um, but in answer to your question, Terry said to me, Do me a favor, he said, go up in the stand with a notebook. And this is before there was really an analyst. I'm not very good with computers anyway. So, very old school. So, I had a little notebook and I made notes on, he said, Don't. I don't want to know your technical opinion or a fan. You need to make you know physical observations of players' ability to get back, get off the ground, twist, turn, and they dominant on one side, you know, jumping height, recovery, da da da. So all this sort of fit, you know relevant functional fitness things uh, to football, and and I just did that. And this this is this is going back. When? 1998. Yeah. So it's a long time ago. Mate, it was incredible because I did that, and Terry and, and John were like very pleased. Because you know, I didn't know the players like they did, and they were like, "Oh, okay, this is we like we like this." And 
So they dragged me in, Dave, and they gave me more of those. They dragged me, and they pulled me in to, to do more. And then they, they asked me to liaise with the physio and say, you know, can you help with strengthening the hamstring? And, you know, can we make these younger players court? You know, we, we'd have talented accounting players that were very, very incredibly technically good, but were very physically weak and, given, you know, ragdolled and That's what I'm asking because years ago they'd say, oh, build him up, give him a little yeah. Guinness, yes. steak, yeah. build him up. And, and obviously it's moved on now, isn't it? Well, that was so, the next thing. So, that, you know, again, you know, the role, so for me, changed almost on, on, on the hoof, as it were, mate, because we go back on, so I was to go away on the coaches. I did the warm-ups on the pitch, which was one of the biggest honours and most incredible things. And I remember going to make you both laugh because obviously I knew everyone from the gym and I used a lot of people in South Bristol. So the first game, Cardiff away. Can you imagine that? Nil, nil. Imagine Cardiff. Police escort. I'm going there thinking, wow. And I owed all the stories. So I knew a lot of the naughty boys from the terraces, you might say. So I ran on the pitch to do the warm up. And with the well, ah, there's a picture. And they got quite a reaction for a warm up. And, and I've got the head down and they've all the nutters are waving to me. Hammond and all that. So it, I must admit, it was quite funny because I didn't know most of the, the, the lads on the terraces at the time and um, yeah that was quite funny so no it, the role was incredible and going back to, to what you said there Dave about the, the you know the, the nutrition what I brought in wasn't initially very popular but I said look we've got to stop beers and fish and chips on the way home and I and I tried to bring in that I tried to explain softly you know that actually the way forward was to, to have the correct nutrition hydration celebrate but you know the time straight after a game is when you need to recovery and you know you need to be able to go again the next day and da 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 uh, and so it was a kind of like it was an evolution really rather than a revolution but it was yeah at times then were the, so I was City's first ever fitness coach they, they'd never had a fitness coach before they had people that had done stuff with them but the role grew it kind of grew as I say not through any pathway and during the time I was there because I saw four different managers yeah. so I, it's not like I became the manager's pal uh, I had to keep on, I felt I had needed, and, and I think I was only right, I had to keep on proving myself that I could get results to help, because ultimately, it, it, we all know that we love, we love sport, we love the game, results are everything, yeah. and that's, you know, you can have all the flashy stats and data, which I think the modern game, you know, that's another thing, I digress, but I think sports science is wonderful, but I think that human element of being able to relate to a lad, I used to walk to work with Tommy Doherty, who's a local lad, yeah. do you know what I mean, walk, Tommy, to, walk to work from a local boy and it's been able to relate to you know lads who were from a similar background to myself who were Bristolian and you know obviously I relate as well to the lads who were Scottish and from abroad I mean it like that but I think the human side of it to me is every bit as important as the science and sometimes the data can leave somebody a bit cold you know I think one of the best examples of that going back to Tommy Dock and this is this is a nice story I was thinking about this today we talk about artificial environments, and uh, so we went to Bath University, and then Russell Osman was with us at the time. He was an academy coach, and we went to Bath. This is 1999. Love this time. So we've gone there, and Tommy, you probably remember Dave, had an incredible leap for a short lad. He, he, he was explosive, all right? He, he, could, he could head a ball, even though he was quite a short lad. He was like a salmon on the pitch. Put him in that artificial environment, he was on a jump mat, because he was quite a... He went on not to be so, but he was quite a shy young lad, and it was in, the environment was quite intimidating, quite formal, and he just didn't perform at all. And me and Terry were saying, just imagine you're on the pitch, and you know, the crowd's there, you know, just. But and, and to me, that's the, that's the, that taught me a massive lesson lesson about yes, we need to measure results, yes, we need science, yes, we need data, but you've got to be able to make it relevant to the game and put people in an environment because I'm a great believer in the transfer of what you do in the gym, what you do on the, on the, pit, on the training pitch, 
and the fitness stuff you do up to a fitness level, technical, has got to be relevant to the performance of the game. And that's that's how I am, really. Yeah. yeah but we've seen it, haven't we, over the years, players and trainers. Yeah. You know, players say, you know, you look at them in training, you think, Beater. And then on the pitch, yeah. different. Yeah. 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 Well, you were very forward-thinking as well, weren't you? I, you know. I mean, that's got to be the time when sort of Arsene Wenger came into Arsenal and started all the nutrition. Because you hear the stories about, like you said, about stopping for fish and chips, beers on the coat. Yeah. He stopped all that. But that's got to be around the same time when you yeah. I introduced the fitness testing, fats and yeah. everything else. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. more or less the same yeah. era. But that was through through the doctor that was working at Bath City at the time. Well, we I, had little letters, didn't we, yeah. saying what you had to do and well, improve and you expected this of you when yeah. you come back for pre-season. That's that's absolutely right it did change and I think the thing is for me was um, a man I've got to mention above all of that was uh, hugely influential and I'm very fortunate to, to, to call him a really good friend as well as um, Scott Davison was the chairman at the time he's a young chairman who he's got a few mentions hasn't he? He, 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 he called me in and you know, it'd be very well not to mention because he had a huge influence on, on my uh, progress at City because he called me into the office and he saw me do a session and he was you know a young guy looking very smart in his suit going I think oh that's it he's going to say you know no more sessions mate you know we, we, we won't be interested in you doing stuff because you're in the club he called me in and I, I don't get nervous very often Dave but I was quite actually quite nervous so I made him laugh because sometimes I've known Scott now for 20 odd years we're really good mates did you think he was going to sack you? I, I thought he was going to say we don't do this anymore and he actually right. said could you be my personal trainer? Yeah. So you can imagine. So I've gone from thinking, oh my goodness, I'm never dressing up. I'm always in a track. I actually went on a nice shirt thinking, oh, I've got to try and come across. I so wanted to have this association with the club. You know, I wanted the, I wanted the job. You know, I really did. I'd run my gym, gym for 10 years, boys. I must put in contact, context. But I wasn't dissing my gym or anything like that. But at that time, I'd had to sell the gym. David Lloyd's had opened. Me and Debbie and my business partner, we had no money. We, we, we couldn't compete with the Monday gyms. We knew our times were fated. It was time for a, an investor to take over the property. So this came at a really important point, point of my life. And Scott really, he, he, the things you were saying there, Tony, very visionary. He, his thinking so gelled with me. He saw these things. He was the one that was so behind change uh, and wanting to the players. Pre-Venger, in all fairness, this is a couple of years before yeah. Venger came and it became public anyway. He was very visionary. He was obsessed about players, not obsessed, but very keen that players were athletic, that they were strong, that they um, were stronger, that they were quicker, they were more resilient to injury. And, you know, I've got a lot to thank him for because he encouraged me to, in that role. And um, I'll never forget that he, we, the gym at the time was, was ProLab and he walked all the coaches and all the academy. And the, the, it was quite a big thing in those days. He, what was he, mid-late mid, 30s? And the whole club's come down and I did a presence and anything like it. And he just, I somehow survived, I was quite nervous. All the coaches, all the players got in that in our gym where we did the, the hall, where we did the classes. And he got me to do a presentation and told, you know, to say to them what I wanted to do for the club and what I'd like to do with the coaches and how I wanted to liaise and, you know, change the diet, like Dave was saying, and all these, this and that, the other, the pre-seasons and all the rest of it. And so, no, I've got a lot to thank him for. I think he was a very, very visionary in his, in his, in his thoughts. I really do. And, and since become, you know, like me and you, mate, become really, really, really good friends. See, like now it, it seems like common sense it, to do that. But at the time, it was just in, in your, you know, you just, you did that, didn't you? You we did. Went, we went away in football. Yeah. Got a good result. Well, even if we lost, yeah. we yeah. get 20 cans on the coach, yeah. wouldn't we? Okay. Stop yeah. in the series, eat the pasties and pies. Of course. Get out and yeah. get on the piss all night, wouldn't we? Yeah. Then have a cup habit too. Yeah. But 
it wasn't just us doing that. Professional, because you listen to the stories of the ex-pros when you, you hear them on the yeah. radio, you, you see them. Oh, well, That's I what they So it was changed massive. But when you Dave, look yeah. back now, you think, how can you be an elite sportsman and live that lifestyle? Because you're a so gymnast right. or a you're cyclist, so right. you know? Well, football, I think football, I don't want you to boys think. Okay. I think football work quite a lot in other sports as well. Um, so when Tony and I were, were lucky enough to work together at uh, the Academy of Sport uh, 10 years ago, uh, it made me realise that actually a lot of the governing bodies in other sports, you're so right, Dave, were, were so much more advanced back in the day. I mean, particularly rugby. Football was massively caught up over the yeah. last decade. I mean, hugely advanced, and it is where it is. But back in that day, we're talking, so we're talking 21, 22 years ago, um, it was quite raw. And I remember chatting to some of the army, I won't mention their names because I've got great affection and I would never slag anybody off, never do that in a million years because I'm not slagging them off. Well, I'm going to ask a question anyway. <laughs> so, who bought into it? Right. And who did <laughs> All right. Right, well, that's a great one. Then. So, so, straight away, the classic was we had a lad called um, Stuart Naylor, goalkeeper. He was goalkeeper at the time. Yeah. And it's a lovely story because. Um, I remember him, Terry would bring them down to my gym in the end. We, the classes got quite big with the with the injured players or the young players. And Terry you, used these boxer size, very loosely boxing, but it was a circuit body weight, you know, no weights at all. It's all about body strength because Tony and know that I've always been mad on, particularly in football, less so in rugby, but in football you need to be able to carry your body well. You don't need big bulky muscles. We all know that anyway. But anyway, long story short, so it's this class. And I remember Stuart Nader saying to me, I don't want to be, I wouldn't swear, because it was a few words came out, and, and it was all good natured, but he said, I want I doing this at my age. He said, uh, on a Friday, I have a frog like this, madman, you know, this broad Yorkshire accent. <laughs> and Tony said, you're doing it with all the rest of the lads. And Tony Thorpe had just joined the club from Luton, hey, yeah. and um, we had... Um, Oh gosh, what what was the Swedish guy? Uh Lenarsson, Benny Lenarsson. What a character. And he was Lenny was saying to me, I don't think he really noticed it, but he wanted me to get the weight off of Tony and get Tony fit. So I was so say training Tony twice a day. Um, which you can imagine initially wasn't particularly popular. But we became really good friends and, and as I say, out of that it was uh He went yeah. out of shape though, was he Tony Thorpe as a player? When he first came he was a little bit out of shape, but no, he got himself in really yeah, good shape. He was a good striker, yeah. you know, he was a good athlete and we became really good friends. So Stuart Naylor was one and there's another nice story because John Ward brought him back to Rovers fast forward 15 years when I'm 12 years ago when I um, was with Rovers and who was there and Stuart Lola looked at me and said oh god not you <laughs> and we were both coaches so he, he, he thought I was a bit um, but yeah I, I think he thought my method was too but and then Mark Lever was a character who played 400 games for Grimsby great defender tough tough as nails um, fantastic bloke from Hull and um, he didn't you know he couldn't see all the the dynamic flexibility he loved the static stretching so I compromised you know the, the player was like I wouldn't lose them you know turn the toe I'm like I mean, I'd make sure they did it but I'd also let them do a bit of static as well so I wouldn't I wouldn't soften but I'd get into their head it was all placebo that they had to do the basics and if they needed to, if they didn't feel confident going to a game we all know it's important that you know as a fitness coach you, you know you're there to help you're not you're not some ego trip to prove a point you're trying to work as a team and um, hopefully that worked <laughs> yeah well we got asked We've, we're having Colin Cramer. Did he buy into it? Colin was a great character. He was a great character. I don't think that was a question. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, basically, no, Tony, all I can say is, yeah, no, very, yeah, very good. He, he, he wouldn't have had it. No, he would. He yeah. came in, I've got remember, he came in 
um, as a ninja. He put a balaclava on and he knew the class was going on. <laughs> and he came as a ninja on the front, came and burst into the door because he is an acting character, as you yeah. know. But, um, I mean, I did work with, with Colin for that long, but the, the, the contact we had, so this is the time back in Bailly and Sorensen, all those people, Sorensen, sorry. Um, no, I only brought that back because he's one of our guests. In the, yeah, and he was, he was great. He was great. He was great. He, he, he was great fun and a great character. And yes, I, I think he did buy into it. He, he was... Uh, he was a great character. He sticks in my mind a lot. Yeah. But going back now, you don't see, like, even in our era, 25, 30 years ago, you had fat footballers, didn't you? Yeah. You yeah. look at it, not being horrible, but like your Jan Mobins, yeah. your yeah. Sammy Lees, and yeah. good before that, Franny Lee, people, they were big. Well, we have, <laughs> you don't see any of them now, do you? No. You don't see any. No, they're all athletes. They're all, they're all muscly. What about Akin Fenway? Oh, what man, crikey. I've, 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 I've bumped into a lot with him. He's a monster. So that's muscle, isn't it? And I could that's not believe his build. Mm. And he was effective, wasn't he? Despite yeah. how big he was. Last game this weekend. Really? Yeah, yeah that he's yeah. packing in with him. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you one of the best physical specimens I saw, boys, I think. Me? Um, <laughs> well, other than yourself, babe, of course. That goes without saying. Um, was Adi Akinboye. Yeah. 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 Incredible, man. One of the quietest, most. Um, uh, unassuming guys, I know, off the off the pitch, but on the pitch, you know, quite animal. I mean, those that were maybe criticised his technical ability, but what an athlete! And he did right at the game, didn't he? Yeah. When you look at the, you know, going back again, you look at some of the centre halves who used to be animals, like your Mickey Droids, didn't you? Yeah. They were just kickers and big. So Tough now man. you look at the defenders; they're like like resources, aren't they? Are. Like your John yeah. Stones, even your John Terry's, and people like that. They're like they so are proper athletes right? now. Aren't they? That's the word. That, fat, yeah. yeah. No. So you can see how it's evolved, <coughs> definitely. Hugely, hugely evolved. So yeah, it must be, a, uh, for someone, a young person now, that's quite a career choice, isn't it, now, to be a, a fitness coach or go down that line of work? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, um, the, the knowledge that now exists, I think most people now are much more gened up on diet and the word like core stability. You know, I remember when I did a core stability course uh, when I was at City with the physios, <coughs> that at the time was like, well, what's that all about then? You know, whereas it's a common, everyone uses the word in everyday talking gyms now, but back in the day, it was like these beach balls came out. Of, What's this going to be about? You know, mm. thought it was the next fad and gimmick. But yeah, you're so right. Things are, have changed dramatically over the last few years. For the fun, it's great to see, to be honest. So, Danny Wilson, full time with City. Yeah. Come to an end. Yeah. Yeah. What did you do then? Well, the reason for that was it was a, it was a, one of the toughest uh, points of my life. I found it even harder than letting go of the gym, really, boys, because um, that was a very successful season with, 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 the, with, with the Danny era and just missed out on the playoffs. But um, the role, my role changed at the club. They, they wanted me to go part-time. They didn't, they didn't get rid of me, uh, but uh, through, for personal reasons, um, with the family, I, I couldn't afford to do that, so I, I, I had to leave the club, which was very, very tough. I found it very grueling. Um, <coughs> excuse me, I, I, I couldn't have just devoted, having been full time, to have suddenly gone down to part time. Yeah, I know I'm like I would have given twelve hours a day to the role, and I wouldn't financially have been. And so it was based on financial accounts, yeah. my family reason. That was all, but it's very gutting. So I walked away, and I didn't really. Then honestly, Tony, I, I thought, right, here I am at what was I, forty one, not really knowing what to do um, so I sold my gym worked for City you know, two dreams fantastic but very brilliant and blessed to have done it but didn't, I wasn't financially secure enough to, to say alright I'll go to the Caribbean for a few months it wasn't like that I was panicking for three young kids so you know the opportunity as, you don't work as a roofer then <laughs> <laughs> <Are> you <there? laughs> 
so mate, I had two Caribbean holidays this year. Uh, so I, I went to um, I went to the Academy of Sport um, on an invitation from Kevin Hamming, the principal at the time, and the rest was history. That was uh, an interesting one. I didn't really know what I was letting myself in for. So this is two thousand and two. So this is this is Filton College. Yeah, back back in the day. Yeah, and. Um, it, it was Bristol County Sport. That's it was, and, and and what got got me there, boys, was the the vision that, that the time was, you know, young. I'd been gone to comprehensive school and come a, across as in rugby and football, more so rugby actually, the public school thing, where not not against them at all, but they they had the opportunity and were fast tracked. But if you didn't go to the right school, your face didn't fit. And what I loved about the Phil College Bristol County Sport that Tony referred to there is the fact that it was predominantly ordinary people from you know um, ordinary educational backgrounds being given opportunity to have an education but at the same time have access to you know high level coaching um, at, at their given sport and it was a wonderful experience and very fortunate to work with your good self where we had some very good years together but that was a wonderful time yeah that was that was a you know a really good time in my career that was yeah, so I was I was head of football at, at the time at, at Filton College, and that merged with the Bristol Rovers youth setup. Yeah, they scrapped the football yes. league setup, so we worked with that. And you know, you introduced SAQ, you introduced um, TRX, the yeah. body suspension. Suspension, yeah. That's so, right. so again, you were forward thinking, and mm. I I know players. You know, I'll name two, Charlie Reese and Ben Swallow, they wouldn't have been professional footballers if you hadn't done the work with them. And they both openly admit that now mm. because they were small lads, very slight, mm. but developed physically just through core strength. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's yeah, nice to say so. I mean, I did enjoy working with them. And well, that's fact. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, yeah. It, no I, I, I think we had a, a great setup. I mean, um, I've got to say that the. I've said this to Tony on many occasions, and that environment to me was incredibly exciting because I felt I had just like I left City and I was back again in that world of you know working with the likes of, of Tony back in that professional sporting world again. The fact that we had links with with the Rover Centre of Excellence at the time as well um, was very exciting, and then, and the level was was great. And we had the pre seasons, didn't we, and all that went with it. And it was it was I, I loved being a part of that. Yeah, I really did. I, I got, you know. I, it was state of the art, wasn't it? Back oh, it, was. it was. Astro, you know, training facilities, Fantastic. the gym, Great everything gym, else. Yeah. And yeah. Kevin Hamblin, the, the principal at the time, and Simon Paynes, who was director of the academies, they deserve a lot of credit. Although, 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 you know, we've had our ups and downs over the years. You know, there's yeah. no ifs and buts. Yeah. Me with both of them. Yeah. But, you know, they deserve tremendous credit because they had the vision to be able to do it. You say about Scott Davison. Without it, And it did. And, you know, when we brought the Rovers in, uh, yes. the Rovers yeah. youth team into yeah. in, into the into the setup, mm. um, and we produced professional footballers. That's the thing, and I think that um, I remember Simon Payne saying to me, um, Leo Rosinia, this is before I joined the academy, um, had said to to Simon as a guest, and, and said to Simon Payne, said, you know, when when do you think you'll produce your first professional football or professional um, sports person? <coughs> but I think we were very lucky with the the influx we had, but we did have. <coughs> As you say, Sean Rigg, uh, Darren Mullins, Chris Lyons, Mike Green. Yeah. You know, there's quite a few names, isn't there, that yeah. went on and, and, and did, did okay. Yeah. Uh, Ollie Clark, of course. Ben Swallow. Um, ben Swallow. Um, and, and, you know, people like Toby Falatow in the Rugby Academy. They produced about four or five, you know, uh, Mitch Eady, Jimmy Eady's son. So, you know, Dave, mm -hmm. not only was he doing the Football Academy, he was doing all the sports. Yeah. 
So he'd go from rugby to football to table tennis. The truth is now, in terms of basketball, the awkward thing was, I don't allow it to completely inform human level, as well, which is likely to be out of my head, but I did find it hard because obviously gravitated to what the big man was, was doing with the football because it was so professional and it was, it was the way I liked to work and it, we got great and that's obviously where I wanted to be and it was it, it, it replaced my role at City but it wasn't as Tony said I had to dilute myself because I then would have also and no disrespect I was asked understandably to work with the netball uh, the taekwondo academy all lovely people coaches and students alike got on well with everybody but obviously I was running literally physically Tony would say running from one part of the um premises or sort of facility from one part to the astro into the gym back out again and that's the it it was quite difficult because i wasn't just focusing on helping tony i was then expected to go away with the rugby academy want me to do their warm-ups and work with them so there was only one of me and i felt that although it was an amazing role by the end i felt i was being stretched yeah. to please everybody and then the golf academy wanted me to do so and I, right i was everybody's fitness coach but yeah, it was quite difficult. <laughs> Trying yeah. try to please everybody was hard. Yeah. You know? No, that's right. And, and 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 you know you you couldn't you couldn't. It's the same as today in today's life in society. Yeah, there's only X amount of hours in a day, and you've got to have that balance between your working life and your thing. And and you were stretched too far. I, I think that was the thing for me, if I'm honest, because the thing is you're always going to get on better with certain people. Um, and you felt as if, although you knew that, and I never felt that, certainly coming from, Tony was very understanding, some of the other coaches, and I won't mention any names of course, but were, I think a little bit impatient and didn't really understand that, you know, I, my remit, my role, my job description was to fulfill all sports. And much as I would love to have spent more time with their sport, because that was where my skill set lay, my relevance, you know, uh, was more acute for them. And I'd probably got on better with them individuals, but I couldn't show bias. Yeah. And I had to show the same enthusiasm. Um, as it happened, I learned, but having said that, I learned an awful lot from, you know, because, um, as Tony would tell you, we, we became the regional centre and you know, because of the ACE programme, you know, the governing bodies like the FA, the English Basketball Association, if that's the right thing, the table says. So the governing bodies would expect me to know what they were looking for. And so I learned an awful lot from other sports that I could then bring in to the likes of major, major sports football and rugby really because you know straight away having spent a day with the elite um, territory squad up at Lillishaw back in the day the way okay we call it we may want to be disrespectful and some people might call it ping pong but the, the level of intensity of the lateral movement the focus concentration reaction speed I felt if only I as a fitness coach could apply some of those principles over short distances which is what the game is to a striker or a goalkeeper, those. Do you know what I mean? Can can you learn from the sports? I got. I got to say this. Kevin Satchel was a te tennis coach. Yeah. He's still at the he's still at the college now, SGS. Yeah. And um, I thought it was a bit of a tennis player, and uh, table tennis. Player. That's right. And he, he would serve the ball to me, and could I get it back? Could get I remember that. Honestly, yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> and he was he was well. I think I think he might have played for England at some stage. He did. He was yeah. not, he was a national standard. Yeah, yeah. incredible. I, I thought, well, put me in my place. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, the other thing to remember, too, as well, we have Will Bailey, the Paralympian Table Tennis World Champion, yeah. was there. You know, so, I mean, that's another yeah. name from that era, um, yeah. albeit from a, you know, a different sport, but, you know, we are there to cover a lot of things. But, no, it was a very formative time, wasn't it? When, uh, 
good, they were good times. So I can remember you had uh, Lee Haskins, Jane Crouch. That's right. Training, yeah. training yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. And, and back then you had the the mascot the thing. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Attitude yeah. thing. You're cutting edge, isn't it? Well, mate, yeah. it was. And again, I, I, I've got to be honest. With you, I put my hand up now. You know, I'm. I think I have to sort of say, pay you know um, a big compliment to, to Pete Fulton. You know, you know Tony's you know great there to to mention Kevin and, and Simon and their vision at the time, which I, I massively uh, agree with that. And I think that Pete Fulton was the, the I call him the boffin, um, my, my fitness assistant at at, uh, at Filton, and he brought in this what they call the hypoxic chamber, which which we got in from the altitude centre, the guy um, who was helping people prepare for working at high altitudes. And, and you're quite right, you know, it was unbelievable. We got some of the Bristol rugby players who were part of the England squad going to South Africa, used it. Jane Couch, who's fighting altitude over in the States, she used it. And then Lee Haskins, who went on to become a world champion, was mm-hmm. using it as well. So, yeah, it brought it brought people outside of the college. And I think what that did, Dave, was help the kids, that's a kid, so the, the young boys and girls, um, who were students there. But when they saw, oh, crikey, you know, we got Bristol Rovers coming in because of Tony's connections, we've got... Bristol Rugby Club coming in, we got Lee Haskins coming, mm. Jim Couch. It gave that aura. Pro- yeah. Gave it pro- yeah. It, it was for real, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it wasn't Mickey Mouse, was it? No. Uh, so it was a great thing it's to be part of. Yeah. And Pete Pete Faulkner, lovely, lovely guy, and he was your right hand man, wasn't he? Yeah, he and was. Well, he didn't get the credit he deserved. No, no, not at all. I mean, you know, suspension training was something that. Um, and still remains a massive part of uh, close to my heart and I'm still passionate about it um, and you've got to give you a credit you've got it straight away as a coach and not, and not a lot of coaches did um, so you, you saw it and, and suspension training Dave that going off on a waffle was um, just using body weight on a couple of body weight straps so if you think of gymnastic rings it was like a, um, a down to a version of an everyman's way of using gymnastic rings um, <clears throat> so people that were you know, Paralympian people that were obese, right way to elite athletes who were at Rovers um, and, and rugby club would all benefit and access it at different levels. And, and it was something that was going to produce after the, after the thing that you referred to uh, about your premiership football shape, exactly that lean core strength, muscular, but not bulky. Mm-hmm. And that was the body weight thing that I, I was driven for, you know, not the bodybuilding bulk. Um, because how, although we did work with the American footballers, that was a very niche sport and, and, and a very small minority of what we did respect to them but a different kind of mindset and um, the suspension training was very exciting and um, that could lead on to something else but uh, I digress <laughs> <laughs> so Filton College mention your rumours a bit mate um, yeah I mean that was that come about well, get, there's, there's, there's a theme here isn't there accident again I mean um, I <clears throat> left Filton College um, no, no, under a bit of a cloud really I won't go into that but it, you know it, it, the, the, the passion everybody that leaves Filton College leaves under a cloud it, it, it was yeah. it, it, it was that there was a falling out somewhere <laughs> there was and um, you know it, it was difficult and I, I you know, found myself where I have been many times in my life and, yeah um, and I, <laughs> first of all I've, really gone through, I've had to reinvent myself a few times um, but that's, that's a good thing um, and so Left the college, set this um, with, with Pete Faulkner, we've just mentioned our suspension training um, version of the TRX, an English product, with, you know, technically slightly different and cheaper and more accessible and absolutely blessed, if I'm honest with you, to have um, worked alongside some fantastic coaches and physios that took us 
on board and, and respected our feedback and, and took us in a wing. So we had some great it's validation. But suffice it to say, so but, so, no, suffice it to say, although I was very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time with the suspension kit, as a businessman, I put my hand up and say I am and was hopeless. I am. I realised that I wasn't wasn't to be. And although we got the accreditation of some very good boxers and worked with Hatton Camping and Rugby Man United, and yeah, there are there's some of the names to work with. But, but it, it it was fantastic that people liked what we were doing. We trained their staff, and it was very some of the proudest moments of my life. But in terms of sustainability, in terms of trying to take on TRX, which were this brand, they were the. You know the Coca-Cola, if you like, the brand of, of um, suspension training that everybody referred to, and we're a multi-million pound company. Me and Pete, the two lads from Bristol, <laughs> and basically we've had some success with some young athletes and, and and some people in elite sport. But that doesn't make you money, and, and it's lovely that people can say, "Oh, you did this, you did that." But ultimately, is we all know. Let's be honest about it. Realistically, you got put food on the table and, and as a business um, you know I, I had to walk away because I, I, could, I couldn't see myself being able to sell the product I can demonstrate it and all the rest of it so yeah I, I gave Bristol Rovers a, <laughs> a desperation at the time I thought what can I do what can I do desperation because I didn't have a job I thought well I want to go back to being a coach um, got to know Phil Kite very well from, from training his, his, his boys um, when they were under Chris tennis. and Alex Chris and Alex, Chris and Alex. Lo- lovely lovely yeah. lads got on very well with Phil knew him from school and you know we'd always had a good rapport and I had a chat with him and they didn't have a fitness coach at the time they are then fitness coach this is the Mark McGee era 2012 and they Rovers yes yeah. <laughs> and that was an interesting one boys because um, I'll, I'll, before I go into saying it I, I was a a very difficult professional time for anybody to be part of a club that was going through an awful, you know, an awful decline in many ways. I mean, I, you know, although a city person, um, most of my friends are Rovers fans, you know, went to school with lads that, you know, Curly England and people like that, that, you know, play, played at Rovers and what have you. So, you know, massive affection for the club. And as you get older, you realise the rivalry is banter and what have you. But I, I've got nothing but good things to say about the Rovers people, the Rovers fans and the staff that were, were amazing. But it was a diff- it was a difficult time. Um, but those two years I had there, 2012, 2014, um, a lot happened in the space of, of three years, really. Uh, but it's thanks again, thanks mainly to Phil Kite who who, who put my name forward. And um, I remember going over across to the Imperial Ground where Rose were training at the time. And Mark McGee had forgotten I was chilling up, and it was well as well as gone for this interview. Mark Blessing was going through, and I mean this now, and I've got the utmost sympathy for him as a human being. He, a lot, what a lot of people don't know, he's having all sorts of difficulties with a quite badly disabled son, and um, it, it, it was affecting him quite badly. I got to him quite well, and uh, he, he is, he's a great man, great player, great great man potential. It wasn't a great time for him at Rovers, and, and, and I, uh, you know, I actually. Uh, Really, the knowledge that. But this crops up time and time again, Dave. You know, you've got some personal problems going on in yeah. your life. It affects it affects everything. Well, the thing is, and, and we don't we don't know it. We've had people on it on. Yeah. On, you know, when with Painter and Rico, and you don't know. No, well, the truth is, a lot of people, you know, Rovers fans are light. You know, I mean, they want my job to go around and sort of defending him. But I mean, he was a charismatic individual, highly intelligent man who clearly achieved an awful lot. And in a different time, I think he would have been great for Rovers because I liked his ideas, but it, it didn't work. And, um, you know, the, he wasn't the, the sole reason, but I think he inherited quite a difficult um, world from, from the, the guy I didn't know. But the, I didn't hear many good things about the, the previous manager, Paul Buckle, I think. There was a, a lot of discord within the camp um, from the players and what have you. And people didn't speak particularly favourably. 
because I think he'd gone on record and saying some quite unpleasant things about Bristolian people which City and Rovers fans alike didn't like um, and I understand that um, nothing against him I don't know him but it wasn't I didn't think it was very professional and I think that that, that time there was a, a bit of turbulence at the club behind the scenes uh, but it was like going back in time I've got to say although I can't speak high enough for the fans their passion you know their loyalty to that club at different times and, and the staff you know people like Keith Brookman Phil Kite uh, Tom Foley, the kit man. I mean, all Bristol and Salt the Earth men who cut them through the middle and they're blue and white. Yeah. I mean, I love them to bits, all of them. Uh, to this day, you know, I've got, I've got friends for life there. But as a club, you know, and I'm sure people appreciate me saying this, I'm not saying this with my red tinted spectacles on, but it was like going back 20 years. The setup was so behind. I'd left City in 2002 in a better place than when I joined Rovers in 2012. They were still having pizzas and beers on the coach. They still were not going through <coughs> proper warm-ups. They were going through warm-ups, but, in, you, know, you, know, you know, nothing... It's not... It's, it, I, I don't like slagging people off. I'm not doing... I'm making observation. It's, you know, cause that's soft targets. That's cowardly. I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm saying now that when I entered the doors at Rovers, it was, it was like going back in time. It really was. And um, the infrastructure there and everything, the facilities... And we, we went back, back to training where we were um, at Cribs Causeway. Yeah, you know, we so in other words, they they were I think a nomadics or club from their training facilities for everything. Everything always seemed to be against them. You know, yeah, Phil, Phil Kite was doing this. Where me and you, sorry to interrupt, but right. where, where me and you were, were changing the lads, um, we're using the change rooms down at, at Cribs, Bristol Academy of Sport, um, sort of fifteen years ago. Rovers were Phil Kite was doing his physio table in that environment. That that's how we were working. Yeah. And when Gary Kenneth walked in, we thought, you know, in pre-season, we thought this guy to come in and mend the lights. He <laughs> was a bit out of shape, by the way. <laughs> so, no, no disrespect, but that was the kind of... And he walked in, and I just, all right, mate, are you come to do the lights with you? And then, you know, over Phil's table. So, so I've, I've gone from a club, I mean, where, where um, Steve Lanzo and the club now, but even at the point where I left in 2002... Um, you know, the, the worlds were different, um, unbelievable. And, um, and, you know, it was an experience having worked for both clubs. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, looking back on it, boys, I, you know, I, I'm really glad, although it wasn't a particularly, it wasn't a particularly uh, great time on the pitch and an experience on a personal level, I, I learned a lot from it. Yeah, mm. learned a lot from it, yeah. Okay, so tell us what you're doing now. Yeah, I mean, so when Rovers went down um, 2014, um, inevitably on the on league, I mean, yeah, to have a fitness coach would be probably deemed to be a luxury. So I understand the club's decision completely. So I left and thought, right, um, I'll go back to when I first started, go back 30 years and see if a 52 year old man can be a, fit, uh, a PT. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember chatting to my mum, God rest her soul, and we had a coffee and cost it. And again, that's sort of a bit of a low point, you know, and you pick yourself up on this roller coaster of life and think, here we go again then. 52, you know, can I do it? And I worried myself, and um, I walked into Anytime Fitness in the 8, my local uh, gym, super facility actually. Didn't even know where the jobs go, I just introduced myself. I didn't, you know, didn't go in, um, you know, all guns blazing, sort of said, look, this is, this is what I'm about, it's what I've done. Um, as any jobs going, um, sort of not tell to my legs, but I'm prepared to, to put myself a bounce start all over again. And um, 
And they said, well, look, you know, we'll give you a, a trial, see how it goes, you know, not be funny with, you know, most of our PTs are, they're very polite, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, you know, so to have an older PT could be quite interesting. And yeah, I've been there now for eight years and... Yeah. Enjoying it? I love it, mate. Yeah. It goes back to what Tony and you said at the beginning. My life's gone full circle, Dave, really, in the sense I'm working in a community environment with all shapes and sizes, all abilities, and it is a community-based gym, which is lovely, and I'm incredibly happy, you know. Brilliant. Incredibly happy, mate. And, you know, COVID was quite good for you as well, wasn't it? We it was, stuff. It was, mate, it was. It's where, where, the thing is, I should explain to David, I, I use this phrase, the preacher of pains is tongue-in-cheek, because you get a lot of fitness coaches, and, you know, the, the modern-day world of fitness coach on that Instagram, the, you know, that's not me. I am, I am, six years of age now. So I use the preacher of pain thing, and I'm going to come on to Tony's point in COVID right now, as a bit of a tongue-in-cheek, but I use it as a, that's my name, the joke, the, and people call me, all right, and people go, hello, preach, hello, Mrs. Preach. <laughs> hello, Dennis, they call me Mrs. Preach. It was back with the kids. Back with the kids, yeah. They call me yeah. the preacher of pain. So, so it was a joke, when, when Tony got me to do pre-season, it was a love-hate thing, probably more hate, actually. I'd turn up and they go, here he is, the preacher, you know, and I'd get them in a circle. And I carried on that kind of thing with local football teams. I'd do the pre-seasons with Man here and what have you. And I'd love it. So I thought, well, I'd bring in that bit of sense of humour. And I brought in this brand. So Tony's right, COVID's come in. And I've got, right, no money coming in now. What can we do? You know, Deb's got a decent job, but we can't survive on her, her income. Freeze the mortgage, here we go. I, I know I'm one of many people, so it's not special pleading. But what I did, I thought, right, I'll give it a go. People said go on Zoom. I thought Zoom was a bloody ice lolly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I haven't got a clue about all this nonsense, so I've gone. And so, I've I, I'm a bit, so a friend of mine says, bless her heart, she's really, really helpful. Uh, as with my kids are on this, is a really good friend of mine called Kim up in Yake in Brewer. Bless her heart. And she said to me, oh, I'm gonna, I see, I feel, feel your pain, you know, you, you, you're you fish out of water, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am. She said, well, let me help you. So got me online, did me classes, where we're sat now, boys, for a year, this table would have gone in the hall. Deb's filming me on my laptop. I'm, da- I'm doing a class, sweating on this floor, slipping on this wooden floor. Doors right, the neighbours are in me shouting, come on! And in the end, I managed to get about 40 people um, twice a week, paying a fiver a go, and I was able to keep paying the mortgage. Oh, and, and then from that, um, you know, I found myself all of a sudden, Facebook, Instagram, I didn't even know what it was, really. To be honest, I would never bother with it. I don't really do that much now. It's not really for me. But on the other hand, I, I, I've got a presence out there which allows me to keep people coming to me, I guess. Oh, so, yeah. so it's like a way of, excuse me, a way of advertising, I guess. Yeah, pretty yeah. good. good. <coughs> Anything else you want to sh- share with our listeners? No, I go back to um, <clears throat> to what Dave said at the beginning of the, the conversation, really, and I, I think that that is it. It's... Um, if I had if I had this life all over again, I'd, I'd probably do the same. Um, you know, I've got a nice, you know, nice living, but yeah, okay, we've not made loads of money, and I, I know that I'm going to have to work until I retire. But I'm very lucky to have the genetics and you know, touch wood, to to, to stay physically fit and able. And I don't take that granted. I've lost you know lost a lot of friends um, through ill health over the years, and, to, and I feel very blessed that I'm able to do what I do. So I'm very humble about it. Um, I've never really grown up, I think, as most people would tell me. Yeah. That's pain or not. I mean, yeah, I mean I, you know, my kids... That's you know, got okay. yeah, I, I, I've grown up a bit, actually, off grain. Well, for a plate you do I mean, so, so, you know, Dave said you'd be very lucky to do a job, you, and, and I do consider myself to be very, very lucky, and I met some wonderful people, and... Yeah, so know. just listening to you there, you know, you see you've enjoyed it, and you, the characters and the people you've met, friends for life. 
Totally. Which is what we say playing football, what we've done. Yes. You've done it down yeah. that road and still going. Fair play. Yeah, it, I, I wouldn't like it. doesn't get any easier. You know, mm. I can teach a class of three people tonight. They'll expect me to be at the front screaming and shouting like I used to mm. when we were at film college, yeah. you know, and I'm still doing it now. And, I, you know, I, I can barely walk for two days. So I'm walking up the steps. <laughs> I'm to get the people, think, oh, yeah. if people sort of say, oh, yeah, you're doing really well. Yeah. They can see the next couple of days. <laughs> cool blog, but, you know, it's all an act. Um, but no, it, it, it's fun. And, yeah, the fact is, I think you couldn't do this kind of thing unless you love what you do. And love, I love people, really. Yeah. I think that's the thing. So yeah. I, I think we'll all agree with that, really. Brilliant. But Just one, very lucky. One, one last thing. I know you're a, a very, very... <coughs> um, Passionate family man. Yeah, right. You know, we've mentioned Deb. You've got yeah. two beautiful kids as well. Yeah. yeah. So you know, Tommy and Tommy, Tommy and Holly, and I've got a, a stepson who I yeah. sort of co-brought up since the age of nine. Our Ben, who um, you know, again, I've been very blessed that all of them are into fitness and sport, and I haven't really had to force our own hands. They've they've like followed it. Yeah, so very very blessed. I love love you. You've had support throughout it. Yeah, I've been very blessed. Very lucky. Great, got a great family. Okay, Mark Hammond, preacher of pain. <laughs> From a painter, Enrico, winging it. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. It's been a great fun. It's been a privilege. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers, Mark.